welcome to the Let's Scare My Girlfriend to Death podcast. I'm your co-host, Josh. And I'm your co-host, the girlfriend, Cindy. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to your favorite podcast where a couple break down horror movies thematically by month and one of them dies a little each time. I'm the aforementioned girlfriend, Cindy. And I'm the very excited Josh. Who uh, tries to kill me with terrifying movies every single month. Last month, Barbarian almost got me. Uh, This month... Nothing will happen this month that will be nearly on that level. (laughs) This month, our theme is the erotic thriller. And I believe we are are starting it off with Brian De Palma's Dress to Kill. Do I remember correctly? Yes, it's... It never happens. Yay! 1980s Dress to Kill... Um, 1980. A whole century ago, my dear. Yes. All right. Uh, you 1980? Probably, you remember nothing about the year because nothing you about were the year. a baby. I was becoming one. Uh, but the Winter Olympics were that year in Lake Placid. Okay. They were stopped, I believe, because they were attacked by a giant croc. I was going to say Betty White was feeding um, a croc. <laughs> that was the year that the Miracle on Ice happened where the U.S. Oh, beat hockey Russia. team at the Soviet Union hockey team. And then went on to win gold. Um that was the year that we announced a boycott of the Summer Olympics. Right. Because in the one they were in mm-hmm. Argentina, right? That was in the Soviet Union. Soviet Union, yeah. And we're like, we're not going there, even though they just came here. Right. It's whatever. But like, we don't believe in them trying to subdue the Afghani people. And it's like, yeah, but you. No, don't. Nope, nope. We're not getting into this. Yeah, Vietnam. On this podcast. Um, Here we go. The, uh, we announced that smallpox was certified eradicated. The Mount St. Helens eruption was that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pac-Man was released. Pac-Man fever. CNN launched. Okay. Ted the Turner. The Phillies won the World Series. Woo, last time. Reagan won <laughs> the presidency. Notice an absence of woo on that one. Yep. Just uh, woo, very John quiet. Lennon was murdered. Yes. All these things happened <laughs> you said it in America excited. in 1980. Yes. No, I was just saying, yes, all these things happened uh, and more. That was the year that we gained Ryan Gosling, Jake Gyllenhaal. It's a very hunky year. Uh, Kristen, uh, Kristen Bell, Christina Ricci, Chris Pine, Eva Green, Channing Tatum or Tayum, uh, Jason Siegel and Jason Schwartzman. Yes. And the year that we lost Alfred Hitchcock, Steve McQueen, Peter Sellers, Mae West, John Lennon. And Mario Bava, famed oh. Italian horror filmmaker. We Mario have Bava. watched quite a few Bava um, films. For those playing the at-home game, mm-hmm. the top ten films of that year were? Number ten, Blues Brothers. Okay. Nine was The Blue Lagoon. Remember that? Yes. When everyone in the country was like, I want to see children have sex on camera. That might be brother and sister. Yeah. Um, eight is Smokey and the Bandit 2. Okay. The fucking dope-ass sequel. Uh, seven, Coal Miner's Daughter. The Loretta Lynn story. Six, Private Benjamin. Okay. Five, Any Which Way You Can. That's right, Clint Eastwood and an orangutan. Okay. Uh, Four, Airplane. Love that movie. Three, Stir Crazy. Yeah. Uh, Two, Nine to Five. Excellent. And one, The Empire Strikes Back. Woo! Because The Empire Strikes Back. Um, The other movies that year... Urban Cowboy, Caddyshack, yes, 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 The yes. Elephant Man. I can't hear that without thinking about Ryan Gosling. Like, get him, Elephant Man. Get him, Elephant Man. <laughs> uh, American Gigolo, The Fog, Cruise. A lot of sexy movies that year. Uh, Mad Max, The Changeling, Stalker, Friday the 13th, Fame, The Shining, Alligator, Used Cars, Prom Night, Melvin and Howard, Gloria, Terror Train, Fade to Black, 
uh, Motel Hell, The Long Good Friday, Christmas Evil, Raging Bull, Popeye, and Altered States. We've watched wow, a lot wow, of wow, movies wow, wow. From, 19, from 1980. Yes. A lot of horror in 1980. Yes. It's almost like ushering in Reagan brought us horror. Yes. Things got real bad. I'm just going to throw those out there. Those things are fundamentally connected. <laughs> so, um, Dress to Kill. Dress to Kill. Tell me about Brian De Palma's Dress to Kill. Released July 25th, 1980. The fact that this was a summer release that was a huge fucking hit. A summer blockbuster? Is that tells you fair to say? how different the world of now and then are. Oh, okay. It's like, once you watch this movie, you'll be like, so this was a summer blockbuster. Um, we're watching, there's an R cut and an unrated, basically X cut. We're oh. watching the unrated cut. Of course we are. That's, that's hot. Um, there is, yeah, it, this movie. It is one hour and 44 minutes. Okay. Um, it is written and directed by Brian De Palma. Okay. Uh, who did Greetings, The Wedding Party, Hi Mom, Get to Know Your Rabbit. And then those things were kind of not huge successes. And then had a second wind with um, his Hitchcock adjacent films like Sisters in 72, Phantom of the Paradise in 74. Uh, he did Obsession. Then Carrie. It's kind of like the huge moment where everyone's like, oh, yes. fuck, it's Brian Apollo. From our first season. Um, and then he was did that the, our first episode? No, our first episode was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's right. Continue. Then he did The Fury, which is a fucking bananas movie. Um, whole movies. And then in the 80s, he started with Dress to Kill. And then after this, he did Blow Out the following year. Then Scarface. Then Body Double. And then would later go on to do like Raising Kane, Mission Impossible, The Untouchables. Just a long, insane career. Yeah, of Brian uh, I, I like to refer to Brian De Palma as the king of the set piece. Because sometimes his movies logically don't work from A to Z. Okay. From beginning to end. Like sometimes something will happen in a movie you're like, that doesn't make any goddamn sense. But like there is maybe no other filmmaker, at least alive, who is better at setting up set pieces within movies that are just like tense as fuck. He is so, he's the king of the set piece. Um, Interesting. So I mean for blowout for sure. Even if you watch his movies and you're like, ah, there's some goofy shit in that. You will find scenes within the movie that are like a masterclass in how to like frame or block scenes. Like it's fucking good. Yeah. Um, can think of what, like I'm saying, I can think of blowout specifically. Mission there, Impossible. There too. is a walk and talk in Raising Kane where they are literally doing the thing of an exposition dump, mm-hmm. and it is so cleverly done. And the same thing for um, oh, what was the, the movie he did with Nick Cage about the boxer and the shooting in the casino, and it's all in one. Movie. He literally was like bored and was like, "What if I made the first half hour like seem like it was one shot?" Was it like no? Mm-hmm. But he made it seamlessly feel like it was he. He's just he's really Brian good at his job, even though sometimes the things he's into are weird and kind of clunky. But we're along for the ride. When, he, when it works, it really fucking works. Yeah. Um, to this movie, the composer, because you can't talk about it upon a film without talking about the music. Uh, the music was done by Pino Dinaggio, uh, which was the replacement for uh, Bernard Herrmann, which he used on a lot of his early films. Like Bernard Herrmann was Hitchcock's composer okay um he died the last film he did for um hitchcock i think it was no the last film he did for De Palma, De Palma was like i think carrie okay i so, think that sounds right i remember no something, it wasn't, no 
here's how it would have worked. So he died in like 75, 76 because Bernard Herrmann, the last two movies he scored were, <laughs> he scored Taxi Driver for Scorsese and, and that came out in 75. And he had just finished the score for Larry Cohen's It's Alive. <laughs> just fucking bananas that that's the last thing he did. <laughs> Spoiler for later in the year wow. when we watch It's Alive because that's happening. Okay. Um, so Carrie would have been the first Pino DiNaggio score. All right. Um, so it would have been maybe that's probably Sisters would have been the last time he used. Um, but yeah, Bernard Herrmann, phenomenal. Uh, and then Pino DiNaggio went on to do Piranha, Taurus Trap, The Howling, Blowout, Body Double, Raising Cane, Trauma for Argento. Um, and then I just want to point out the cinematographer is Ralph Boda. Um, so yes, Cindy, the guy who shot Dress to Kill also shot Saturday Night Fever. Yes. So they have that same kind of gritty, gritty feel. New York feel to them. I know that feel. Uh, well. Even though this movie takes place. <laughs> I said that very weird. I believe in Philadelphia. Well, I know that place well, too. Or no, it takes place in New York. This movie takes place in New York. The museum that they use in this movie is in Philadelphia. Philadelphia of course it is. Um, because it was just easier. To he also shot Uncle Buck and The Big Green. All right. Remember The Big Green? I do not. The... Uh, what's his name? Steve Gutenberg movie where he has he puts together a soccer team. I do not remember it. Sorry. And my cousin Trent's in it. That guy cool. that looks like my cousin Trent. <laughs> um, so there you go. Now the cast is actually more important, like more impressive than the crew. Okay. So playing Doctor Robert Elliot is top billing. Michael Caine. Nice. Michael Caine. Everyone's got a Michael, Michael Caine impression, right? Yep. The Cockney actor and star of Cider House Rules. Jaws the Revenge. Alfie. <laughs> if I was like, Jaws the Revenge, mic drop, we're done. We're done talking about Michael Caine. Now you know exactly who I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, the guy whose career came to prominence when he made Zulu, uh, he went on to make The Ip Chris File, Gambit, which is an incredible movie that more people should see. The, the original Italian job, uh, Get Carter, which is... The movie I think about him when I think about him. Sleuth. Um, Austin phenomenal. Powers' dad. <laughs> right. There's only two things I can't stand. People who are intolerant of other people and the Dutch. Um, uh, he was in The Man Who Would Be King. Uh, the Island. Mona Lisa. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. The Muppet Christmas Carol. Batman Begins. The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight Rises. Children of Men, where he's basically playing John Lennon. Um, Harry Brown. Interstellar. The Prestige. Like... Every human on the planet Earth knows who the fuck Michael Caine mm -hmm. is. For very different reasons. You just know a different Michael Caine right. than everyone else. Like, he's been around for and so Michael goddamn fucking long. Kane. And I remember hearing him do an interview once where they asked him how he decided to do a script. And he said, what I do is I get the script and I open it. And if my name's on the first page and I go to the last page and my name's on the last page, I say yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun way to look at I'm it. I'm like, That's fucking insane but all right i mean right on <laughs> so he's the top build actor. if i live through it i'd go i do it yeah um, and then we've got angie dickinson playing kate miller okay um she started early on television she was in rio bravo which was a maybe the best john wayne movie uh she's in the killer she's in point blank with lee marvin uh she's in death hunt um, she's best known probably other than this movie for being in 90 episodes of Police Woman playing 
policewoman. Okay. So as you watch this movie, remember, she was a huge network TV star. Okay. Like who had her show had this just ended her, like a year or two. And this prior. was her movie. Got it. And this was like her big return to feature films after doing like being a huge in your home every week TV star. Okay. Keep that in mind as you watch this movie. Okay. Uh, and then we've got Nancy Allen, because you can't have an early 80s diploma film without Nancy her. Allen. That's correct. Uh, she plays Liz Blake. She was Ann Lewis slash RoboCop's partner. Right. In RoboCop. Gum-chewing partner. RoboCop 2, RoboCop 3, where she sadly dies. Uh, she's in Blowout. She's in Carrie, mm-hmm. where she is Chris the Bully. Oh, yeah. Um, she is the mom uh, in Poltergeist 3. Yes. Right? It's kind of all over the place in the 80s. Yes. And then just... Now she is on the board of, like, a place that raises money for breast cancer. Oh, excellent. Good, good human. Yeah, good honor. Married to Brian De Palma when they made this movie. Oh. So, uh, and then we've got Keith Miller playing Peter Miller. Uh, he is an actor turned director who starred in Jaws 2, whole movies for De Palma, all that jazz. Christine is probably the thing he's... Yeah. Christine and Back to School are the things okay. he's probably most yeah. for. He's... Um, Continue. He's the son of um, Ronnie Dangerfield and Back to School. Yeah. So. Um, He's the head kid and the kid who gets Christine yeah. and Christine. And as a director, he directed The Chocolate War of Midnight Clear, Waking the Dead, and like a ton of TV. Like he directed a ton of Dexter, I believe. Okay. Right. Uh, and then lastly, because again, it's an early 80s De Palma film, Dennis Frowns. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Detective Marino, brother right. to Dan. Brother to Dan Marino, really? No. Oh. It's the character. I was, oh, God. I was like, no, wait. Dennis Franz is not brothers to Dan Marino. Dennis Franz plays a character named Detective Marino. Got it. Um, NYPD Blue. Die Hard 2. You see his butt. Body double. And uh, Dress to Kill. Dress to Kill. Him and De Palma had, like, a, a really interesting relationship. I love the fact in Blowout, or not Blowout, in Body Double, he's playing Brian De Palma, basically. Okay. Like, he's dressed just like Brian De Palma. Um, All right. That's a fun little tidbit for you. I would not know. Yeah, a man who's made an entire career out of playing cops. Plays. Basically. Yeah, that's right? true. Um, looks like a cop. Talks yeah. like a cop. He is a cop. If it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck. Uh, yeah, so that's Dress to Kill. Um, this movie is, I think it's free on Prime. It's free on Pluto TV. Okay. Um, there is a Criterion Blu-ray of this movie. Definitely available on all your pay-for-play um, It's on know, the Roku platforms. channel app if you have that. It's literally everywhere. But I sent Cindy the poster. This is the part of the podcast where Josh shows me an original poster of the movie, and I try to predict the movie plot. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh... It's a woman putting on stockings with her shoes already on. She's just sexily pulling them up. As a man is walking into the bathroom, like she's sitting on the edge of the tub. Uh, Brian De Palma, master of the macabre, invites you to a showing of the latest fashion in murder. I'm going to say this is a movie about a man, or, or well, yeah, it's going to be a man, but of a killer who is threatening models, fashion models. It's a very blood and black lace. Well, there you go. It's also dressed to kill, I think. Um, no. Okay, actually. then. Good. Good. 
It's a very different movie than what you think. This is going to take this movie's going to take a turn you were not expecting. It's going to all be anti-capitalist again like people no, under the stairs. It's the it no, it's the palm in the early 80s. It's going to be hyper-capitalist. Got it. Probably, I think. All right. Well, but, join us, won't you? Mind the doors. Do you find me attractive? Of course. Would you want to sleep with me? Yes. Then why don't you? Because I love my wife, and it isn't worth jeopardizing my marriage. I shouldn't have been so rude. Thank you for picking up. Mm. master of the macabre, who shocked audiences everywhere with Sisters, Carrie, Obsession, and The Fury, now invites you to a showing of the latest fashion in murder. <coughs> dressed to Kill, Michael Caine, Angie Dickinson, Nancy Allen, Dressed to Kill, Murder, Made to Order. We watched a movie that could not be made today. You know, we say that a lot, mm-hmm. but goddamn, this may be the most true mm-hmm. instance of. <laughs> uh, you couldn't make this movie now. No, you cannot. Uh, we watched Dress to Kill. What did everyone think? Did everyone figure it out? Did everybody like. Did you figure out the mirror thing? Yeah. Anybody? Did you figure out the mirror thing? No. What are you talking about the mirror thing? Okay. Um, how every. Well, mm-hmm. we'll get. Uh, we'll. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that on the shelf and come back to it when we get to it in conversation. Okay. But remind me the mirror thing. Uh, yeah, we it was dressed to kill. It was uh, 1980. It was Michael Caine. Michael Caine and uh, transgenderedness. And this movie is fucking loose sex, wild, um, uh, unprotected anonymous sex. Just Can we talk fine. for a second before we get into what this movie was about? Mm-hmm. This movie was a massive hit. This was a massive summer hit. I can see that. I can for sure see that. Like, like it's not a. It, it's shit. not a. It, it is a well crafted movie. Um, it has an interesting twist. It is an interesting story. It is uh, a well acted movie. I think all the actors did wonderful jobs. Um, it's just, they explain transgenderism as, uh, 
there's a woman living inside the man's body trying to take over his personality. And there's part of his personality that like they describe it like a, like a split personality situation rather than just, you know, like a chromosome not matching. Anyway, it's very strange. Okay. Let's go ahead and get this out of the way because this had to happen eventually. So Um, I'm going to caveat this by saying I am not transgender. Neither are you. Correct. Uh, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel that's correct. comfortable at this point. Saying I do right. enjoy wearing Birkenstocks and um, sweatpants, but I am not transgender. But that's what a lot of boys wear. Is that? I'm, yes. I don't own a pair of Birkenstocks. I don't own a pair of sweatpants, I don't think. Um, so what I'm about to say is this. I have a lot of friends that are trans. We do indeed. Um, I have, I'm very supportive of them. Um, however... That doesn't make me an expert or helps me understand their point of view or their take on this movie. So I'm not going to talk about this movie from that point of view because I feel like that would be um, both that is not our wrong place. and disrespectful. Right. For me to like try to break down kind that of man- angle of it. Mansplain. I understand um, that. I feel like. I'm, I'm going to speak like it was hard for me. Like it was a very interesting movie and I enjoyed watching it. But as an ally and friend and, you know. It was just like, huh, I don't like the way they're talking about my friends like this. Yes. It was, it, this is a great movie, but it pisses me. It's almost, I suppose, what it would feel like to watch a movie about people being very blatant about, you know, um, uh, well, I mean, 12 years, no, like 12 years a slave where they just kind of casually use the N word all the time and they, you know, but firmly believe that people of color are, you know, an inferior race. And it's just like, oh, that's an uncomfortable feeling. I don't like the way they're talking yeah, right now. But that's a, that movie's a, about a period to explain the period. Well, no, I, I, I know, but I'm saying a movie that, that just kind of casually uses mm-hmm. the N word and is full of racism. I is like, well, I still, I mean, it's an interesting movie, but, um, it's, it's uncomfortable. Uh, there are bits that are uncomfortable. And like, I bits. think that there are movies that I, I'm going to say this. I don't think this movie, when it was made, was intentioned to be a negative. No, it was actually rather informative. People. There was, um, it wasn't even an exposition dump, but it was, um, like an information dump where for no real reason at all, our main character kind of explains um, people that are transgender and how, you know, you're born into the wrong and, you know, you can have like a sex change. Like first you do hormones and then you do, mm-hmm. you know, they, so there, it was interesting because I kind of, when I was sitting with my uncomfortableness, you know, it, it didn't, I think it, I would have felt better if rather than trying to, explain the killer as oh it's because they're transgender if they had said oh they have a split personality like a dr jekyll mr hyde sort of situation and one just happens to be female i think maybe that i mean i get that and i think does that make sense that might be what they were going for but didn't quite make i just know that when this movie came out um there was a moment leading up to it where like um they call it transsexualism yeah and which is the outdated term. It's transgender now. And I mean, it had this moment where it was kind of in the zeitgeist. Yeah. So I think they just seized on something that was in the zeitgeist. Okay. I don't think 
once we get through talking about what the movie's about and, and some of the diploma stuff, I don't think any of that is what attracted him to the movie. Here's what I'm coming to ter- understand is that based on the information they had at the time, this was a very informational and informative movie that had a really cool twist. You know, because in 1980, I'm sure the uh, DSV transgender DSM. DSM, whatever, what did I call it? DSV. DSV. <laughs> Sequest. <laughs> Always thinking about Sequest. Um, does that make sense? Like, if, if they had, if they wanted to make a movie that was informative about people that were transgender, and they went to the research and they went to the informational texts available in 1980, this is what they thought. Yes. Well, uh, and the reason we now I, know that is incorrect. Yes. And the reason I brought this up initially about this talking point before we dive into what the movie's about, obviously, spoiler alert the killer turns out to be trans. And the point I'm trying to get across is neither of us are transgender. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know people that have said when they talk about this movie that it's a negative portrayal and a negative stereotype uh, about about trans people and it's hurtful. Sure. I yeah. mean, I'm not going to say no to that, obviously. Like, um, I'm not the person to make that call. But I've also heard people say that, like, any representation is better than no representation. There's, that's also valid. I'm, I'm not here to come down to either side of this. Right. That's um, not our I'm just our letting I'm here. letting everyone know because we live in an era where weirdly this is an even hotter topic issue now than it was so in 1980. Dumb. Like yeah. Um. So here's Two what we're going to talk forward. about, other than about transgender people, other than the um the, obviously the twist when we get to talk about the twist. Here's what I want to say. Um. I'm not, and I'm assuming you're not going to make a judgment call right. on how this movie is perceived and with trans people. Uh, also, super pro people having bodily autonomy, being able to do what they want with their own selves and their own person, right. whatever that is. Um, if you are a person that is not a fan of that, um, I'm sorry, but we fundamentally disagree. Um, and I think it's important, like I said, to see this movie in terms of. Um, of hit you know of like history like this is what people thought that this that um people that were living with transgender you know trying to 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 navigate life this is you know how people how you were perceived and people had to combat that like that kind of thing is mm-hmm. important um know what i am very comfortable talking about is the structure of this movie and its historical context to movies like Psycho? Because okay. this movie has a psycho structure. Please tell me. So, right, oh we... yeah, it has uh, the opening. So our movie starts with a very detailed uh, of a poor woman who is just bored with life and having bad sex with her husband, and oh, life is just boring and awful. So... And she has a one night stand and. We are in the thick of this movie, and then she's killed. Yes. And then that's where the movie starts. Um, I was telling you when we were watching it, I couldn't imagine, like, the opening scene where you don't quite know what's going on, and she's taking a shower, and she's just rubbing her vagina. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's full frontal nudity from full the jump. frontal nudity. And, the like, it's masturbatory a body versions. double, right? It's not Angie Dickinson's naked. I mean, she's naked in the wide shots. Would they have known that then? Like, was she doing, like, the... The circuit people being like, "Oh, I've seen you naked." Um, so, I think it was kind of known, but like the the body double had to dye their pubic hair blonde <laughs> to match Dickinson. Um, 
Can't but imagine like, that felt good. It's so important to think about the context of Angie Dickinson is coming off of a police procedural right. that starred her. She was the first female star of a police procedural on network television and is like, I'm done with this. Now I do half an hour of Dress to Kill where I'm, I'm just getting, getting railed. fucked. Like, and, the and, opening of this yeah. movie is she's in the shower and basically, like, it, it it's halfway between taking a shower and, like, playing with yourself. It's, like, somewhere in the middle. Mm, all women knew what was going on. Right? And her she, husband's, like, Here's what I'll say. She's taking, she's taking a shower, right? And, uh, the shower head? She, yeah. <laughs> she's got that, that portable shower head. Um, and then, like, uh, as she's watching through the steam of the shower, her husband... Um, shaving mm-hmm. a gentleman steps out of the steam behind her in the mm-hmm. shower and then proceedingly just starts to like have sex with her from behind right aggressively it, it's a yeah i don't know if i don't know if it's a rape fantasy but it's um, something and then that well it it transitions into them in bed because it's funny you mentioned when we were watching it you're like oh she's in the shower with a full face of makeup on yeah and i was like in my head i'm thinking that's about to make sense. Just give it a second. <laughs> and then it cuts to like, she's not wearing makeup and she's getting plowed in bed, pretending to enjoy it by her husband. And then you realize, oh, that was the fantasy she was using while she was having bad sex. Right? Yeah. Like, um, and then we can't talk about the first act without establishing her son, Peter. Right. The Brian De Palma character. Of this so movie. Uh, Peter is her son from her first marriage, from her husband who died in... Uh, Vietnam. Viet fucking And he Nam. is big old nerd. Loves playing and tinkering with his computers. And it's, you know, like beep, boop, beep, that kind of a computer. Literally. He he builds a computer from scratch that can like d- do like fractions and like carry numbers. Right. And like do binary shit. Which now you're like, eh. But in 1980, that was probably hot shit. Um, that this is the Brian De Palma character, right? So that's what you were saying. Brian De Palma. It's important to know um, he's from Philadelphia. He's the filmmaker who made. We talked about this. All these movies. Um, his parents. His dad was a surgeon, like an orthopedic surgeon, mm-hmm. and he would often watch his dad do surgeries. That's odd. As a child, and like all the blood and gore, and he was like, it doesn't phase me. Yeah, but like he was like a tech weirdo kid. Like, he built computers. Like, that okay. was what he did. That's, I think that computer in, in Peter's I figured room, that's what you meant. He built it. But this movie is such a weirdly, when I said, I don't think the transgender things are what draw, like, drew De Palma to this story. That, you know, that those, those are not the most fleshed out, most excited things. Right. The stuff with Peter is because that's a computer De Palma built. That, that character is De Palma in his childhood. Um, so De Palma's dad was, he supposedly, like mom thought dad was having an affair so brian like kid brian de palma used audio video equipment and like stalked his dad and like caught them having an affair and showed his mom oh like the same way with like the camera and all, like he did all that except okay to catch his dad so that's cheating. why that's what kind of drew him to this so like film. he's legit like he put bits of his actual childhood into this movie mm-hmm. This is maybe the most autobiographical De Palma film, um, which is 
wild to think about that he's like, hey, so I've got this, this movie. This is how I see myself. About a, it's basically like, it's a retelling of Psycho yeah. in, in the A plot. But the B plot with this kid, I'm going to give you like weird, intimate parts of my childhood. Like, Put them on fit display. into this world. That's so fucking weird. Yes. Um, and I love it. Uh, that's I think that's the strongest stuff. It's clearly the stuff he cares about. Um, because like once Angie Dickinson exits this movie, this movie does get better. Yes. Um, which I hate to say that because Angie Dickinson is cool as shit. Um, so yeah, so she, he's been up all night making a computer. They end up having to cancel plans. So she goes to see her doctor, her therapist, which is Michael, Michael Caine. Caine. And he's like, you need to tell your husband he's bad in bed. And, and basically gives her life advice. And she goes to. He's a very calm. Measured. Therapist. Now, the mirrors thing. Okay. Anytime in Dress to Kill, when you go back and watch it, anytime in that movie, they point out that when he gets uh, sexually aroused is when, like, the conflict inside him starts. Every time, whether it's Nancy Allen or Angie Dickinson, one of them, like, offers or insinuates they want to fuck him. Right. He looks at the mirror and at himself. And there's, like, a change moment in his face. Okay. And like, yeah, I kind of remember there was so, a lot of mirror work. In so this, much that so that like every time they did it, I was like, oh, this is going to be one that Cindy figures it out. <laughs> but like you don't when you see it for the first time, you don't think about nope. it. But when you see it again, you're like, oh, fuck, it's right there in front of me. I, I should have guessed this like ages ago. Yeah. Um. So she Angie Dickinson offers to fuck uh, Michael Caine. Everyone in this movie basically offers to fuck. Everyone who interacts with Michael Caine is like, let's fuck. So, you down or what's the story you want to michael kane yeah um, want to go you go so she goes to the art museum to yep. make her shopping list and there's like an eight minute silent sequence where like okay she essentially she picked she picks up or gets picked up by a guy and then he in goes, the 70s goes down on her in the cab in a theater oh yeah in the cab <laughs> which yeah. is there's you ever been in a new york cab. cab that is true I would not want to be bare-assed in that thing ever. No. Um, and then she has a moment of, like, realizing, oh, I, this guy's got VD. And then she gets a Oh, yeah, I forgot about that yeah. part. She's, uh, she goes to write him a letter and finds a thing from the, the city that's like, you've got, you've contracted you a venereal disease. You have a venereal disease. Um, and then she goes to leave, and that little girl's, like, staring at her like, I know what you did. Yeah. Dirty. And then she, it's not like you had sex. It's the fact that you cheated on your husband. Right. Um, and then she realizes oh, she le- fuck, symbolically she left her wedding, oh, ring her wedding ring at her one night stands place. So um, she runs back to get it. Yeah, she goes on the elevator. The elevator is open, and then there is <laughs> a, <laughs> yeah, the psycho moment. It's a woman with a um, blonde wig and like a black trench coat. It's very giallo with like uh, a razor and sunglasses. Yeah, and she just starts. Th- there is a shot at the beginning of that where. Angie Dickinson puts her hands up to block her face Mm -hmm. and the razor hits her in the palm and then drags across her palm and cuts it open. Yes. And it looks so goddamn good and real. Yeah, that does look very (laughs) real. I'll give you that. That And then she proceeds to just slash the shit out of her as the elevator is going down. And then meanwhile, in the same hotel is Nancy Allen, who is a prostitute. You don't know that at first. Um, And she's with a gentleman who's giving her financial advice. Right. The doors open. The dude's like, oh, fuck, and runs away. And Nancy Allen sees the woman that slashed up Angie Dickinson. 
and then Angie Dickinson's laying there bleeding, and then she escapes, right, with the razor and goes to the police. And then the police are Dennis Frump. And that's basically act one, right? Mm-hmm. So we do the psycho thing of, like, it sets up a character, gets you invested in the character, right? Marion Crane steals that money because she wants to be with her husband, leaves town or to her with her boyfriend, leaves town to go see her boyfriend, Sam Lumen. I know too much about Psycho. Yeah. Um, <laughs> drives all night to see him, ends up staying at the Bates Motel, and then gets murdered. And it's totally unrelated to the money she stole. She just yes, happens to be, like, true. karmically, cosmically punished. Right. And then... Boom, she's out of the movie. Like, the biggest name in the movie is pulled out of the movie. And Angie Dickinson would probably be the second biggest name in this movie after and Michael Caine. And it becomes a, um, a whodunit movie of the prostitute, Nancy Allen, working with, uh, what's his name? The son. To um, figure out who killed his mom. Pete, Peter. <clears throat> and they figure out that, uh, let's see. He figures all these, through the use of all these gadgets, like he figures out that it's the last patient that he saw that day had to have been the same person who killed his mom. So that's how we get the idea that uh, Nancy Allen's going to go in there and he's going to steal his books. Um, And, you know, she's a hooker. She's going to do what she does. Yeah. She seduces him. And that's when we find out. He is the killer. Bobby. Bobby. Um, I, my throw off, at one point, uh, Michael Caine, the doctor, goes to see, goes to a mental hospital to talk to another psychiatrist and ask, like, have you heard from Bobby? And all, you know, and I think, you know, Bobby killed these people and I'm trying to get in touch with her. And he was, and the other doctor was like, oh, I mean, the mayor of New York. Um, yeah, come to my office. Like, is, let's talk about it. Is it is the mayor from Ghostbusters. And I thought, oh, that's the key's the killer. He wants to take him to his office because he's going to kill him. That's weird. Why would they introduce him to do that? Um, huh. And, yeah, I you was know what I just realized? Hmm? They totally properly um, gender with pronouns, Bobby, through the entire movie. Correct. Right? Like, the, the only one that doesn't on purpose is the cop. Is the cop. But, like, frowns. the two psychiatrists are both, like... You know, they, her, her, you know, she yeah. did this and blah, 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 blah. Just an interesting little tidbit for you. Um, I did talk about how Brian De Palma is the master of this headpiece. So he's like, I'm bored. How about we do this elaborate fucking pickup at the, you know, museum? That's like eight minutes in a silent sequence. Yeah. And that's in the first act. In the second act, um, when Bobby is trying to kill Nancy Allen, um, he's like, hey, how about this cool moment on the train? Right, where she yeah. gets on the train and there's the black guys and the black cop. And oh, right, yeah. He does He has this amazing shot. And every time I watch this movie, I'm amazed. Like, I'm so fucking impressed by this shot. Where the camera's on Nancy Allen as she's sitting there. And she's, like, looking at that cop like, fuck you. And then the camera goes, it, like, it does, like, a 180 turn. Mm-hmm. And it goes past, like, the door to the next car. And Bobby's there looking in. And then it goes to the cop, and the cop is looking at that door at the right. person. And then it goes back, and Bobby's gone. And Nancy Allen's just like, Pfft. and then the door's open, and the cop leaves. Yeah. And you're like, oh, fuck. Um, like, she's there. It's about to get real. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd say the weakest of the big set pieces is probably the one at the end, because it feels a little rushed. 
with at Nancy Allen in the um, his office. But he's such a like there are some directors who are just good at like helping you understand space and using space to threaten people. Yeah, and he's one of those people that can do it really well. Um, yeah, so this movie builds, like you said, to Michael Caine is Bobby, um, is a character who is, wants to transition to be a woman, all that stuff. Um, cleverly, they have the female cop with the blonde hair following Nancy Allen. So sometimes that's the one following Nancy Allen. Like the one that follows her onto the subway initially mm-hmm. is that one. The one when she gets off at the subway is Bobby. And there are times when the actress who played that cop is playing Bobby, so you think it's going to be her and not Michael Caine. Like, it's a little way, so... But Michael Caine is definitely in that wig and that outfit and all that, and, like, the underwear and everything at the end of the movie. Um, And then the movie has, like, a double ending. So, like, they shoot Michael Caine. Right. And then there's um, the the scene in the restaurant where the woman is, like, listening to Nancy Allen explain, like, how... (laughs) How process works. To uh, transition from uh, man to a woman. And that is kind of comical and silly because the lady's like, oh, like, yeah, very silly. Um, let's see. And then there's there then there's the second ending where the dream sequence, the dream sequence where um, Bobby right comes back like has you know Michael Caine has killed the nurse and escaped the hospital and it's like wait a minute what are you doing right now? And um, it turns out that's just a dream sequence. Yes. Um, it's interesting that this movie is bookended by dream sequences where female characters are attacked by a man. Yeah. No, oh, that's true. It is bookended that way. I wonder if that, I bet that was done on purpose. That's why it, yeah. Oh, that um, makes more sense. So that's why I honestly think, like we talked a little bit about this off mic. Uh, I really do think that the intention of this movie is um, because it opens with a character seeking sexual pleasure and she eventually dies for that, right? Right. Because she's trying to... And then the character who does have that ability to control their sexuality, it's not being, like, controlled for them by, like, a husband who's, like, terrible in bed. Um, she's, like, severely traumatized at the end of the movie. Um, and they're both traumatized by... And even Bobby, if you want to think about it that way. It's like these characters are all forever scarred or, or dead from like masculinity and the idea of like domineering women okay yeah like the only characters in this movie that are men who aren't pieces of shit or clueless is peter true like that's it yeah like michael kane is the villain of the movie right michael yeah michael kane I saw Dennis Franz as it. And his, like, internal struggle with Bobby. Like, the idea of giving up the masculine for the feminine in 1980 causes murder. Okay. Right? Yeah. Like. I'm with you. It's it's this thing where, like, it's it's all gender politics. Like, everyone, like, the cop discounts Nancy Allen being capable because she's a hooker. (laughs) And she turns out to be the most capable character in the movie other than Peter. Because he's honestly probably like low key autistic and like good at five right. things. Right. Uh, like I can make computers and like I can make science shit. But yeah, like he's not more than ma- I can do math. 
<laughs> I can do really good math and engineering. Like Nancy Allen is scrappy and quick on her feet and probably the most capable character in this movie. Um, I feel like Angie Dickinson probably was that character at one point, but years of like being second fiddle and like being in a relationship with this guy who's like, it's everything kind of mid and like, it just kind of sucks. She's like the real, she has the worst arc in the movie. Yeah. Like I just feel really bad for her because she just wants a better life. She wants to be able to like have an orgasm with a partner. She doesn't want her mom like shitting all over her life. She wants a better relationship with her son. And then she's murdered because like, someone was turned on by her right which is like a very real problem that a lot of women i've known have had to deal with right like yes all women have had to deal with it at some point yeah yeah all right what are we watching next week uh we're gonna we're gonna do fatal attraction oh i know about that movie because of course michael douglas and glenn close everyone knows that movie uh okay yeah. Uh, quickly before we go, yes. I just want to ask, I want to say something and ask you a couple questions. Please do. Um, I think this movie at the end of the day is about the dangers of repressing your sexuality, right? Of like okay. not being comfortable with who you are. And when you're not comfortable with who you are, um, you lash out. You see this with like incels. You see this with people who are like, you know, um, not comfortable with themselves. So they explode out. And I think that's what this movie is kind of about in a way. Um, but did you have a favorite scene in this movie? <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, the scene where she is trying to talk to her uh, escort service and her broker at the same time on two separate phones. I found that very funny. Nancy Allen is fucking adorable. Yeah. Um, I love that train sequence so much and I don't know why. Uh, who's your favorite character? Was it Nancy Allen? Yep, Nancy Allen. Yeah. I love Nancy Allen. I love Keith Gordon in this movie. Um, would you watch this movie again? Maybe. <laughs> it's weird where you're like, it's such a well-made movie. But right, like it, but it, it it's problematic. It's things issues. that are problematic. Yeah. Um, this is a Criterion movie. Like, it's in a Criterion collection. So there's definitely reasons to watch it. I just think the science and then kind of like how it treats certain characters has not aged great yeah um for either per like i think if you're a person who is very anti-trans you're also not going to be happy with what's in this movie because they're very much like give a very sciencey explanation at the end and it's yeah. like you know this, this is, is a representative of everything yeah this is how this happens um, so there's that uh also very quickly this movie is exploitation as fuck i mean there's action that this movie is kind of revolutionary in the fact that it's a retelling of Psycho but goddamn, it's as crazy as retelling a Psycho uh, there's killing with razors yes razors um, there's really fun speeches from a lot of characters being like I think the line that sticks out the most from me is Nancy Allen being like well from the side I don't think you married she's like oh how's it go um, judging from the bulge in your pants I don't think you're so married like there's so many yeah like, weird good weirdly aggressive yeah. sexual lines towards men in this movie <laughs> um and then fantasy god i hope so and fornication full frontal oh 400 percent. like from the like i said from the jump you almost see a penis going to someone else yes you do you almost so. see pen- full penetration it is what it is yep. so it's I, wow dress to kill 
so like I said, next week is Fatal Attraction. Yes. Um, so we're going to do two old-timey 80s uh, erotic thrillers, and then we're going to jump to something newer Ooh. for the end of the month. So. All right. Well, until then. I'm Josh. And I'm Cindy. And I'm still his girlfriend. Thank you for joining us.